You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. minutes late this morning. We've just had some technical difficulties on our side, but welcome to our home this morning. Another week of church at home, and it reminds me of the early days of our church plant when we would gather here together, and um, even though you're not here with us in person, we can feel and sense all of you on the other side of the camera in your homes, maybe in your jammies, drinking a cup of coffee, but being with us, being together this morning. And so we're excited for what the Lord is doing. Um, We love you guys. We send so much love and we're really missing your faces. I just want to thank you for messages, emails, and feedback from last week's message on generosity. It has deeply encouraged my heart to hear the stories of generosity as you guys are reaching out to people in love and kindness and in care. Um, It's just beautiful to see. So I, I just want to bless what God is doing in our community and just to see his heart so beautifully displayed in uh, acts of generosity is, is precious, precious, guys. And well done. And, and my heart is feeling so full and thankful and grateful for all of us and for what the Lord is doing. All right, this morning I want to I want to jump into some thoughts that I've been going through this week. And the title of my preach is Puzzle Pieces. At this moment, we are facing so many unknowns, so much uncertainty in the days ahead. Uh, what will our businesses look like? What, what does our work look like? Will we need to reinvent ourselves going forward? What does having kids at home and trying to work look like? Uh, do we even have work and businesses in the days ahead? Those are the kind of worries and concerns we're facing at the moment. At the same time, I think during this lockdown period, many questions have surfaced in our hearts and mind. Um, We've had time to ponder and reflect perhaps on purpose and calling, on meaningful work, on the system of the world and how it works and how we feel about that. We've got questions that we have with the Holy Spirit that are also on the table. Worries, concerns, uncertainties, questions. It's almost like I see us facing this big puzzle Um, looking at the different pieces of our life and trying to make them fit together in a meaningful whole. Uh, During this lockdown period, my kids and I have spent hours doing puzzles together. 150 pieces, 350 pieces. Mads and Jude have tackled 1,000 pieces. Um, it's, It's really so much fun. And you can sit with one puzzle piece And you can look at this blue puzzle piece and wonder, is it pond or is it sky? Or you sit with these red leaves and you're like, is that the autumn tree or is that the grass? It's sometimes hard to make sense of a puzzle piece in isolation. Um, But as we make these puzzles together, what's really beautiful is it's this fun process that really facilitates connection. It facilitates connection between my kids and I. And that's really what I want to draw our attention to this morning. Yes, we've got so much uncertainty. We've got questions for the days ahead. We've got the puzzle pieces of our life spread out in front of us. But this is a moment for connection with the Father. This is a moment to enjoy and facilitate connection and hear his thoughts and hear his voice about the pieces of our life that are in front of him at the moment. 
It's the one who makes sense of the puzzle pieces in our lives that is actually most important. And I just want to remind us of this beautiful picture in John 15, where Jesus explains so beautifully, he is the vine and we are the branches. He lives in his people and we live in union with him. He is our source and the fruitfulness of our life streams through from his life into our life. When we look at things, when we look at puzzle pieces, when we look at our life in separation from that unity, it's powerless. But the fruitfulness and the power comes from the source. I spent time this week just facing moments of difficulty and uncertainty and actually pulling my mind, pulling my affection and my attention to, I am grafted into the source that is Jesus. I actually Googled, what does it mean to be grafted in? It means the branch is connected to the main trunk and that the two become one so that the root system of the main trunk, the strength of the main trunk is what is the life that, that moves into the branch. And I picture my life like that. I am connected to the miracle worker. I am connected to the source of life and joy and peace. I am connected to the king of the universe that sits above this all. What a perspective to look at the puzzle pieces of our life from. We can try to hold on to these pieces so stubbornly trying to figure things out or we can bring it into our union with Jesus, into that fellowship and into that relationship. He shares this with us in John 15 because he says, my heart, Jesus' heart, is nourished by the Father, and so my love nourishes your heart. And I tell you these things so that you will experience the joy that I experience. Isn't that beautiful? It's out of that union that our heart is nourished and that we can make decisions, that we can look at the future with joy. We can laugh at the days to come. You know, you are at the table seated with the Father because of Jesus. Ephesians 2 paints this picture of how we are seated with Jesus next to the Father in heavenly places. In a sense, you're at this table with him, and you are loved and you are known. To be loved and to be known is something that completely changes the way that we look at our lives. I look at my children that are here in this room with me. To be loved and known changes them. It makes them blossom. It's the same for me to be loved and known. I come alive. I flourish. You are loved and known. You are sons and daughters. And your inheritance is to hear the voice and the thoughts of the Father over your life. They will transform, they will reform the way that you are thinking about what is before you. I want to read this amazing scripture from Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Beloved friends, that's you, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercy be? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but we be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. How do you live a beautiful life with God, in front of God? It's by bringing those puzzle pieces, bringing the pieces of your life and laying them before him as a sacrifice, as a surrender, as an offering of worship. And in this beautiful fellowship, 
The Holy Spirit transforms the way that we think, reforms our thinking so that we can look at our life and walk into the beautiful goodness that the Father has, that is his will, the things that are on his heart. Isn't that an incredibly powerful scripture? And so sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes into the conversation, when the Father speaks into our life, it changes the internal conversation that's happening in our minds. And I want to jump into the story that is found in Judges 6, the story of Gideon, where he's having this conversation. In fact, he's in a situation that's very similar to the situation we find ourselves in currently. He's having this internal conversation and the Lord comes in and changes that conversation. So we find the story in Judges 6. Gideon's country has been invaded by an enemy, the Midianites, that was so oppressive that they flattened their crops, they killed their livestock, all the sources of income that they had, the Midianites just destroyed. Um, it says in Judges that they were like a swarm of locusts that invaded and ravished the land. Sounds a little bit like what the pandemic is doing to our economies worldwide at the moment. So Gideon is trying to provide for himself, maybe his family, by making bread. He is threshing wheat, but not on the threshing floor. The threshing floor in those times was a public space where you would prepare the wheat to make bread. Um, but he wasn't allowed to go to the public space because he's scared of the enemy. That sounds a little familiar, hey? So he is in this wine press hidden at home. It's in his home space. And he's hiding the little bit that he has in order to make bread to provide for himself. And he's threshing the wheat. That's where we meet him. What is Gideon feeling at this point? A little bit like the world is feeling. We're hiding. We're stockpiling. We're looking after the little that we have in the uncertainty ahead. He feels hidden, maybe storm beaten, weary, disappointed, uncertain, scared. And the angel of the Lord arrives. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak where Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's hiding. He's scared. He's feeling uncertain. And the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's look at his response. But sir, Gideon replies, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about? Was he not the Lord that brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. It's, it's so interesting that the Lord comes into his conversation and speaks identity to Gideon. And the first thing Gideon says is, you know what? The Lord's abandoned me. I feel left behind. I feel scared. I'm disappointed. He's not who I expected him to be. I'm left feeling super abandoned. That's his response. And let's look what the Lord says to Gideon. He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, I want to remind us, last week I spoke about um, the fish and the loaves and how Jesus, the disciples are presented with this problem of 5,000 mouths, 5,000 families to feed, and they want to send them to find their own solution. And Jesus says, you feed them. It's the same that he's saying to Gideon here. He says, go in the strength you have and see the wonders, see the miracles that Israel needs to leave the hands of Midian. Isn't that amazing? And, he, and let's look at Gideon's response. But Lord how can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manessa, and I am the least in my family. That's the conversation in Gideon's head. I am, we are the weakest family, and I am the least. I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. And what is the Lord's response? I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites together. Together changes everything. Together changes what the disciples experienced that day. They saw the food, the little that they had, multiplied to feed 5,000 families. Together changes everything. As we look at the puzzle pieces in our lives, where we may be feeling so small, the Lord comes into the conversation that we're having inside of our heads, where we may feel uncertain, abandoned. He's like, no, you are my sons and daughters. He speaks identity to you. And then he reminds you that you are not alone. It's in together that we're going to see the miracle. It's in together, it's in our life union with Jesus that we're going to see fruitfulness, that we're going to see miracles and wonders, that we're going to see provision, that we're going to see the kingdom of God through our lives. I want to jump into the story of the disciples in the same way. Um, Gideon felt he was a very unlikely candidate to be part of what the Lord was doing um, at that moment in history. And the disciples are a very similar group. They are a motley bunch of people, a gathered group that are not the most skilled, they're not the most talented. Um, they are from all walks of society, all kinds of different characters and backgrounds and appearances. And the Lord calls this motley crew to be his friends and to be his followers and to be the disciples that help him to bring the kingdom of God to earth. It's just this beautiful picture. It's the unlikely characters that become this beautiful pathway for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth, just like me and you, friends. We may feel like Gideon, but the Lord is calling out our identity and changing the conversation in our head this morning. Uh, many of us have, have been watching The Chosen and just getting into the life of the characters, the life of the disciples of what it must have been like to walk with Jesus in that moment in history. And there does feel like this beautiful awakening of diving into the word of the gospel, specifically in this season. And I know Anton Rowe are um, are studying through the book of Mark at the moment as a home cell and just diving into everything that Jesus was and portrayed in that gospel. So if you're not part of their group, I would encourage you to join that. It's an absolutely beautiful space uh, to dive into the gospels. But I want us to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for just a minute and to talk about what the essence, what the nature of the kingdom of God is. Because Jesus walks into the world. He, he enters the scene and he gives us an entirely new way of seeing the world. It is the message of the kingdom of God. And this moment in history feels like a very unique moment when the structures of both the world and the church, the traditional structures that we know of gathering together and how that looks, both have been deconstructed. And so it begs the question of, what lenses are we viewing the world with? How do, we ex how do we assess the world? How do we assess the church at this moment? Um, the kingdom of God is advancing, no doubt. Since the time of John the Baptist, 
Baptist all the way forward, the kingdom of God is advancing. How do we view that? What does that look like? What does that mean? And so at this moment, I feel like there's a very unique and beautiful opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit for fresh vision of what it means to see the kingdom of God come to earth. It's a moment to have some fresh lenses, to have a new clarity. I love the prayer that, that Paul prays over the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, where he says, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may understand you. I may understand the world better. It's my prayer. God, give me that spirit of wisdom so that I can, you can guide me through my life and my family, through my ministry, through our businesses. He prays, illuminate or clear the eyes of my imagination so that I can see the way that you see. That is my prayer right now. Lord, clear the eyes of my imagination so that I can see clearly at this moment in history what you see, so that I can clearly see what's on your heart. I love this quote by Albert Einstein. He says, how can we go into new things if we can only imagine what currently exists? There is a new future ahead. God is not shocked by what is happening across the world. He has got an advancing kingdom that is getting more and more glorious. It is a growing, glorious, magnificent body, a bride. And perhaps we need to ask, what does this new era ahead look like for the kingdom of God? And not just imagine what has currently or existed previously. So let's dive into the journey that the disciples walk with Jesus in the reformation of their thinking. Here is this motley crew and uh, their thinking as they walk in friendship with Jesus is just constantly being reformed. They have a paradigm of the way that they see the world. And as they walk in friendship with Jesus, we see in such a human way how that paradigm has to change. Let's get a little bit of a context for the world that they were living in. Um, in Palestine in the first century, people were under the tyrannical, brutal, harsh rule of the Roman Empire. They were overtaxed, so they were kept poor. Um, there had been various rebellious uprisings over the years previously to G Jesus's ministry where Thousands of Jewish men, women, and, kill, uh, and children were killed at the hands of the Roman Empire in these rebellions to try and break free of the oppression of that kingdom. And so Jesus enters the scene. The morale of the Jewish people is very low, but they are hopeful for a rescuer. They are hopeful and longing for a Messiah that will come in and will free them from the most powerful empire that the world has ever known. They are expecting a king. They are expecting perhaps a powerful political military leader who would arise, who would take charge, who would defeat this oppression that they are experiencing. Maybe something similar to what Moses did when he led the people out of Egypt. Enter Jesus, proclaiming a kingdom of heaven that is here. That word kingdom must have had the connotation for the people in his audience of all kinds of things. And he starts to preach the kingdom. The kingdom is here. But as he's unpacking what that kingdom looks, looks like, it becomes very apparent that it is a very different picture. It's a very different kingdom to the one that perhaps the Jewish people and even the disciples were expecting the Messiah to bring. 
So we see Jesus outlining the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, let's call it that, in the Sermon on, on the Mount. And suddenly, it's like one of his first teachings, so the disciples have had interaction with him and miracles, and they've seen, wow, this, this, this is him, could this be him? And then he begins to outline the king, kingdom constitution in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we hear what Jesus says, um, I've been reading a Philip Yancey book, and he, he begins to, to outline a little bit of what the world's kingdom would be. What would the world's constitution be? Something like this. Happy are the independent, they need no one. Happy are those who know how to push themselves in the world. They're successful enough to live life on their own terms. Happy are the hard-hearted because they never let life hurt them. Happy are the slave drivers because they get results. Happy are you when you don't give a hoot because you don't need to care about anyone else. Constitution or the, the way the world thinks, the kingdom of this world. And then comes Jesus. And he says, no, happy and blessed are you when you feel your desperate need for God. When you feel your neediness, then you're blessed. Blessed are you when you're gentle, when you show mercy and pursue peace. Blessed are you when you're rejected and persecuted. What? How, how does this make sense for the disciples that are beginning to grapple with what the kingdom of Jesus looks like? It doesn't have political borders. In fact, the kingdom works amongst the enemy when you're positioned amongst those that are so different from you. That's where the kingdom blossoms and takes life. And they begin to see with these fresh new lenses. We see even in the expectation of um, and misunderstanding of Jesus when he begins to speak about his death, how, how rigid their way of seeing the world is and how counter the plan of God was to them in their worldly mindset. Um, Jesus is beginning to tell them of his coming death and he's like, I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. And Peter pulls him aside. He says, Jesus, don't do that. Like, just spare yourself. I think Peter with the eyes of this world is saying, I can see what we're doing here in this ministry. You know, you can't possibly die because there are so many more people we need to reach. There are so many more miracles that we need to do. Like this is cannot possibly be the option for you. No good that the Messiah would die. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. Pretty harsh, right? Because um, he says to Peter, your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. The cross, the resurrection was, was a stumbling point in the thinking of the early disciples. That amazing, it was something that needed to grow in their understanding. This is the wisdom of God that his son would die on a cross and that we would be reborn in resurrection life through his blood. So my prayer at the moment, friends, is fill my understanding, Holy Spirit, with the ways of God. Adjust my vision so that I can see what you're seeing. And as I bring these puzzle pieces of my life, because they are there, pieces that don't fit, pieces that are uncertain, pieces that I have questions about, as I bring that to you, surrendered in an act of worship, help me to see the way that you see. And if my thinking needs to be reformed, will you do the reforming of my thinking? You know, the early Christians, before they were called Christians, that was what happened at Antioch, which is little Christs. Before they were named Christians, they were called the way. 
because they were so different from the people around them. They thought differently. They lived differently. They loved differently. There was such an awareness that this thing that's happening is a different way. This thing that's happening is a different kingdom from the kingdoms of this world that we're so used to. We assess this completely differently. So why am I highlighting the stark difference, the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the, this kingdom? The Holy Spirit is reviving in our hearts a lens for the kingdom of God. Jesus birthed through his own blood. He birthed through his death and his resurrection a new humanity. It's me and you. It's his sons and daughters. We live differently. We think differently. We serve differently. We love differently. We are his body. He is the head and we are his body on the earth today. Isn't that magnificent? We're here to continue that kingdom work that Jesus started when he walked on the planet. And what's amazing and what's so important to recognize in this context is you don't hear about that always on the news, most often not. But the agenda, the main agenda for this planet is the body of Christ bringing the kingdom of God to this world. The message puts it so beautifully. The, the church is not peripheral to the world, the world is peripheral to the church. That is a new lens. That is a kingdom mindset that we're not always familiar with because we don't see it in all the voices and all the news that is coming to us. I've just been thinking about how in normal life, just the busyness of the cycle of, of school and work and kids and church, all the habits of daily living, sometimes the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of this kingdom can get a little bit blurred. Um, a beautiful definition of busyness is when the voices around us get louder than the voice of Jesus inside of us. And so you end up seeing things perhaps a little bit blurred. And I've just been asking myself, who, who's been molding my thinking? Holy Spirit, mold my thinking afresh in this unique opportunity in history as the structures of the world are being deconstructed but also the structures, as I said, of church that, we, that we're so familiar with of gathering together are deconstructed in the season. And so I've asked the Holy Spirit, just remind me how your kingdom works. Because even though we cannot gather, and the truth is, is that gathering is so important and Hebrews encourages us, even as the times grow harder, gather together. So this is not the end picture. But it is a beautiful opportunity to understand afresh how the kingdom of God advances in moments like this. The first thing that I just want to remind us that I've spoken through during the, the, the process of, of unpacking these thoughts in this preach is that the kingdom of God doesn't just happen through the gifted and the talented and the ones that have the big movements and the big denominations. Sometimes our lenses for assessing the success of church are worldly lenses. Um, we look at how big, how many people, how talented the speaker, how gifted uh, that person is, how amazing the performance, and we think, wow, that must be how the church expands. Those things are amazing and God can use those things, but it's not the essence of the kingdom of God. The essence is that God chooses people like Gideon and the motley crew of the disciples and you and me to bring his kingdom. We are the ones through which the kingdom flows through all of that, yes. But when we deconstruct it and bring it to its simplest level, it's through our lives. And I want to remind you of that this morning. We love to leave it to the professionals. We love to 
outsource uh, the kingdom to the ones that are gifted and who have the big structures and are doing big things and, and the different denominations. But actually, the Holy Spirit is reminding us the kingdom of God comes through you and it comes through me. Um, there's this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians that says, we don't have to boast in our own strength. We don't have to boast in our amazing talents. We boast in the finished work of the cross, that our source and life comes from Jesus. So we, not may, we may not be the best choice, the good choice, the most amazing choice, but we're the grace choice. We're the choice where God has chosen us to be his friends, to be his sons and daughters, and to see the kingdom come through our lives. So can that enter the conversation that you're having with the Lord as you're looking with fresh lenses on the puzzle pieces that you're facing in your life currently? Secondly, although we are facing a worldwide storm in our economies, in our cities, in our communities, um, the biblical pattern is that God uses negative moments. He uses storms. He uses persecution for the advancement of the kingdom. It's a biblical pattern. The storm never comes from God. The negative thing does not come from him. The persecution does not come from his hand, but he is so wonderful that he uses the difficulty. He uses the negativity to do something impossible. I look at the early story of, of, of Acts, the book of Acts, where persecution comes to the early church. No one would have thought that as persecution come, the, comes, the biggest expansion of the kingdom of God happens, that the seed scatters to the corners of the earth. It's like a little spark and a wildfire starts for the expansion of the kingdom. Who could have thought that from persecution? But God in his greatness, in his goodness, in his faithfulness, takes what is negative and he does something impossible. And we can so easily get stuck with our lens on it is so negative. We can, we can complain and we can see the reality of the storm, which is true. But my question is, what is the impossible that God is doing on the other side of the storm? I know he has got his goodness to be experienced, as David says in Psalm 27, in the land of the living. He is doing something wonderful. His kingdom is expanding. And I want us to hone our lenses, to expect to see that, yes, God is going to use this worldwide storm to expand his kingdom, to bring his goodness, to bring his faithfulness through our lives to the world. I believe more than anything that this is the era where the kingdom of God will expand. It's the kingdom era. I want to just give you a little glimpse into a prophetic word that um, Chris Vallotton had in 2010. So it's 10 years ago. And the word stirred in my heart and I've hung on to it ever since then, knowing that the Lord is doing something, but um, not really seeing how that's happening until this moment. So he said, the church is going to move from being like a pool, a model based on the pool of Bethesda to a model based on Ezekiel 47's river. Let's unpack that a little bit. Traditionally, in traditional structure, the church is the place where you come into to experience the presence of God, to experience the kingdom of God, to experience the miraculous. The pool of Bethesda was a place in Jerusalem where people would need to come. The angel would stir the water in that place and people would get in and encounter God or encounter the miraculous. And Chris was saying it's moving from that where the four walls of the church has been the place where you experience the kingdom of God to the river in Ezekiel 47. The river is the 
the spirit of God, the river that flows from the very throne of the Father, and it flows into the world. And as the river flows, it makes dead places alive. On the banks of the river are trees with healing for the nations. These trees bear fruit in and out of season. It's this incredibly beautiful picture of how the river of God runs through his people so much further than we could ever see or imagine or dream. And I believe that that is the shift that's happening at the moment. Jesus reminds um, the woman at the well when he meets the Samaritan woman, the well of God springs up where? She asks, do I worship there? Do I worship there? He's like, no, no. The well of life is within you and it springs out from inside you. Isn't this a beautiful opportunity to own that? Psalm 46 speaks about how the, the city of God has this river flowing through the very heart of it, extending out from the city of God. Me and you, that's what we are. We're the temple. We're the city of God. And his river of the kingdom is flowing out from our lives. And I believe in the, in the weeks and months and years ahead, we are going to see dead things come to life. We're going to see the miraculous. We're going to see our lives blossom in and out of season by owning this beautiful, beautiful truth that the river of God, the spirit of Jesus is flowing through our lives, bringing the kingdom. It's like he's exploding the walls of the church. We will gather. That'll be an amazing time to worship together, to be encouraged in the word and in the gospel truth. But we will see the kingdom not mainly in that place, but all over our lives, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our families. I believe beyond what we could ask or imagine. I'm going to wrap up now by reading what Jesus says to his first co-workers, to that motley crew of disciples, just to remind us of something of the simplicity of who we are and what he's called us to. And it's paraphrased from the message from Matthew 10. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out demons. You have been treated generously. That's what we were talking about last week. We have been treated generously, so we get to live generously. I love this. You are the equipment. You are the equipment. You are the one through which the beautiful kingdom of heaven flows into the world around you. And don't be overwhelmed by it, he says. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. Don't be overwhelmed by the magnitude of how big this is. It just starts with you doing something small. It starts by you responding to the conversation that the Father wants to initiate with you around your identity. He wants to give you his thoughts. He wants you to hear his voice and transform some of the ways that we think about ourselves and that we think about the world around us. I'm going to land here, friends. Matthew 6 is where Jesus speaks specifically about worries and concerns. He says, the Father knows. The Father knows that you are worried. The Father knows that you need clothes to wear, you need food to eat, you need something to drink, you need all these things, all these things in life that we need that are important to us, the Father knows. But how does Jesus end? He says, seek first the kingdom and all these other things 
will be added to you as well. It's like as we bring the puzzle pieces of our life to him, the worries, the concerns, the things that we need to make sense of, the questions, he's like, I want to teach you first just to see a hunger, a chasing after, an openness to my kingdom and what that means because it's going to make sense of all of the different puzzle pieces of your life. The father is bringing them together. He cares for you. He looks after you. He is so faithful. It's such a beautiful encouragement to just yield to that conversation with the Holy Spirit this morning. Can we pray together as we finish off? Hmm. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us in this moment. I thank you that you are with each person that is sitting in their living room, that is sitting in their bedroom, wherever they are in their homes. You are with each one of us in such a powerful measure that you are a wellspring of life that overflows for our well-being, for our goodness, for our relationship with you, but spills over from our lives into the world around us. And I pray for such a beautiful revelation of that. The way that the woman at the well sat with you, Jesus, she had a conversation in her head around her life, and you saw through that conversation, and you spoke identity. You pulled down the ways of thinking, and you said, no, this is the truth that the river of living water springs up inside of you. It's so beautiful. And she ran in such joy to tell the community around her. I pray for such a joy from this revelation to rise in our hearts this morning, that the kingdom of God is a flood inside of us. It's coming and it's overflowing out of our hearts, into our homes, over the walls, into our communities, into our city, and into the nations of the world. We bless what you're doing. We bless the advancement of your kingdom in this season, and we are super excited. We are not overwhelmed, but excited to partner with you, Jesus. We love you. I just pray for such a refreshing in each home at this moment. I pray that as we bring our worries and concerns and, con and questions, that, the, that you would nurture our hearts with your love like you've promised, that you would nurture our hearts with your joy as we live from our beautiful union with you, Jesus. We thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za.